0: You morons will never work again! I'll see to that! Well, what do you know? He insulted our religion. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast.
1: Welcome again, my friends, to a very special episode of Pie Factory Podcast. Once again, um... In the moderator's chair, this is James G. And to my left, not right next to me, but just a little bit away, um, who is going to be joining me on this festive occasion? I have to say my own name. Well, yes, you do. Introduce yourself to our large listening audience. Oh, someone gave me a name to use, and I forgot
0: what it was.
1: Since this is a rather auspicious occasion, might I suggest something dignified, like... Squishy Butt. No, not Squishy, squishy butt. butt. Hold on. Mm. Ye Olde Sean. All day Sean. Ye Olde. Old day. Old spelled with an E. Ye Olde Sean. Mm. You did just have your birthday.
0: Yeah, I'm not that old, though. I'm just old mm. enough to remember actually playing the games we talk
1: about. Let me think. Uh... You reached the answer to the great question of life, the universe, and everything, Yes, correct? I
0: have. Yes, I have. Thank you.
1: Yes. So... so that was
0: a, a, a very deep thought from you.
1: It certainly was. But, you know, they do have to build bypasses. Indeed. Um, everybody is probably wondering why this is such a special and auspicious occasion. Well, because we just have received notice that we may have already won $25 million. And... That is rather a rather auspicious occasion, I would say. It's to be in receipt of a prize that large. And we're going to quickly, in the next day or so, make arrangements to fly to Nigeria to pick up our prize. And um, I, I just feel humbled that they sought fit to award us with this prize. And I would like to thank the Microsoft Corporation lotto for. The uh, the twenty five million dollars prize that they gave us
0: that we that they may so, have
1: given you. us. That w- it's said that they gave it to us. We just have to go to Nigeria to pick it oh, up. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, and um, by the way, do you do you have like twenty five hundred dollars to pay for the release fee? Which is
0: where I was going to go next. We still need your Patreon donations, folks, mm. because we have to pay for this trip somehow.
1: Yeah, Uh, and and the thing is, we did ask them why they couldn't take the registration fee out of the prize. And they said something about taxes and something about the red tape that it would take. It would just be easier this way. So uh, if you guys could all please see fit to reach deep down into your pockets and help us to raise this money for twenty-five million dollars. So it's a
0: heck of an investment.
1: That is why I am sounding so somber right now. It's because I just I'm just so humbled that the Microsoft Corporation Lotto would think of us like this. And um, well, there there you go. I mean, that's uh, they do have to show us the the trunkload of money. That uh, well, they sent me a picture of it, and they said that a lot of it, though, is covered in ink, and they have a special chemical that they have to use to uh, take the ink off, so that the money can be used. So, oh, please tell me that
0: special chemical is not dihydrogen monoxide. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. Uh oh.
1: It might be dihydrogen dioxide. Oh mm. boy. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, because we all know about the dihydrogen monoxide scandal. But yes. At any rate, there you are with that. So, so Sean. So hi, hi. So <laughs> yes, I am. Well, actually, no, I'm not. Not yet, as far as you know.
0: Um, hey, I might so, be getting there. I'm drinking a Lion and Kugel's Harvest Patch Shandy. Not actually Harvest Patch Shandy. Pardon me. I am
1: oh, drinking. Oh, guess what,
0: Ferg? I think this is supposed to be a pumpkin spice with flavors of nutmeg, allspice, and clove.
1: Uh-oh. Die pumpkin months spiceoid. I don't know. Uh, I am drinking a uh, spring water uh, that was purchased at Big R. For those not in the know, Big R is a kind of a local chain of like farm supply stores, and they actually got quite a lot of neat stuff in there. Excuse but, me. Yeah, but uh, you know what? Sorry I haven't done that. in I'm a getting long over time. A cold. Ah, I see. Better than getting under one, I guess. Um, you know what? I haven't done in a long time. I really used to be really good with poetry, and I'm, an, I'm just going to read you a little poetry right now. What could possibly go wrong? Bottled for Big R Stores by Ice River Springs, USA, Incorporated. Morganton, North Carolina 2865.5. Spring source Stonebrook, Attica, Indiana. For consumer information, www.iceriversprings.com 519-925-2929 Warning! Cap is a small part and poses a choking hazard, particularly for children. Thank you. I'm going to be having a reading uh, of my uh, of my works pretty soon here at the Walmart Supercenter here in Morris. Uh, uh, I I am assuming they're going to probably kick me out after five minutes, but um, we will fill you in on the details when it does happen.
0: Yeah, because they're a classy operation. I don't know if they oh, just indeed. want some, someone just traipsing in and reciting poetry.
1: <laughs> We're too high class for you. <laughs> and you know what? They would be right. <laughs> The only person to be kicked out of Walmart for not being classy enough. (laughs) Where do you think this is, Dollar General?
0: (laughs) I noticed there's a dollar store near where I live. The name was everything dollar. Everything dollar. Everything everything. Everything dollar. Now it's called Everything Dollar Plus. You know what the funny thing hmm. about
1: Dollar General is it's not a dollar store. And I used to think it was because every price in the place was, you know, an even dollar, like $1, $2, $3, $4, so on and so forth. But I find find stuff in that place priced $1.50. So it's not because of that. I, maybe well, it means, generally it's a dollar, hence the ge- name Dollar General. Maybe it's value. Yes, Dollar General means value. Although sometimes, the last couple of years, they've been getting those uh, plug-and-play uh, Atari consoles. Really? Uh, and... Uh, a couple years ago, they had the ColecoVision and Intellivision one with uh, with special things that the the normal retail store ones didn't have. Flies? Yes, I, I believe they had the Sam's Club one had I think and it was one of them had an extra game and the other one had extra overlays. I can't remember which one was which. So there's that. Now it's the obligatory part in the podcast where I ask you, what are you playing?
0: Well, a few minutes before we started, I was playing... Would you believe this is the first time I ever played Spider Fighter on the 2600?
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, that's a, I like that game. That's a fun one.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about why I was playing that uh, a little bit later in the podcast. Oh, I think a I know of, why. Let's see, a couple of days ago. Actually, it was yesterday. Was No, it was Monday. It was Monday because I, I, I took the day off on Monday. And I spent a little bit, but not a lot of time playing some, uh, some uh, Atari games. Mm-hmm. Um, I played Mega Mania for the first time, believe it or not. Love uh-huh. it.
1: Wait, wait, you played Mega Mania for the first time?
0: Yes, I didn't have it when I was a kid.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't have that one either, but I did play it a little bit. And I was amazed recent, well, the last year or two when I found out that, I believe it was Sega, it was either Astro Blaster or Astro Fighter, I can't remember. Mega Mania is actually based off of one of those two games. Uh, I can't remember which one off the top of my head, and I always thought that that was uh, fascinating once I realized that. It's amazing how much all of those older games are really based off of something yeah. in the arcade, uh, especially some of those Activision titles.
0: And those Activision ones that I mentioned, those are so much fun, too, as simple as they are.
1: You know what game I really love that gets a lot of flack Hi, Rob. Uh, for not being a very good game is I love Oink.
0: I like it, too. I really do. I don't that's know f- why. That's a fun game. And let's see, what else did I play Um also, for the first time, I played uh, the Atari 2600 Carnival, which I actually thought was a good conversion.
1: I've played that a couple of times. It's not bad, but I can't say I'm a huge fan of Carnival in general. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of a bland game to me, but that's just me. Maybe I need to play it some more, uh, the different iterations. I know I have it for the Coleco Vision, which my Coleco Adam hasn't worked in quite some time, and I got a figure out why that is. Either that or get rid of it. And I, I don't want to get rid of it, but I don't want to... I can't just keep it in storage either without having anything done with it. So i got to figure out what to do with with that. I suppose I could put my Raspberry Pi in it. I don't really want to do that, though. If I was going to do that, I would do it with my ColecoVision Flashback, which the thought had crossed my mind. There was a guy on Atari actually offering a ColecoVision Flashback Raspberry Pi upgrade service for like 150 bucks or something, which sounded interesting and the mod actually allowed support for the original ColecoVision con- controllers or the uh, the flashback controllers, which, huh. rant time, the ColecoVision flashback, not as bad a unit as some people make it out to be, in my humble opinion. Uh, I do see where some of the stuff is, like, slowed down, maybe not full speed, but the controllers are worse <laughs> than the ColecoVision controllers because the joystick or the Joy Mushroom or whatever they call it doesn't have the throw, if you will. You can't push it in the direction you want uh, as much as you could on the ColecoVision, and you really didn't have much throw on the official controller. It's smaller, so uh, people with bigger hands are going to cramp easier. And because of it's smaller, the overlays from the original system won't work on the flashback controller and vice versa. But the worst thing is, even though it has the DB9 socket, which is, you know, the standard 9-pin controller that the Atari, Sega systems, and ColecoVision, and later... Five and top, four at the bottom? Yes. This is pretty much a standard for classic consoles. Even though it has that connector, you can't use the original ColecoVision controllers on it, which sucks.
0: Is it maybe that it's a serial port, perhaps? I don't know why it would be a 9-pin serial port.
1: Who do I look like? Somebody knows anything about Tech. If you want tech stuff, listen to Tenpence. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, no kid. Oh, by the way, we didn't talk about what I'm playing. I started actually playing uh, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past on my Super Nintendo emulator. Not on the Raspberry Pi. I don't play much on the Raspberry Pi because it's like, I gotta. I suppose I could use the monitor here in the computer room, the one that I'm using right now. But, uh, you know, I gotta kick people off the TV and stuff like that. But at some point, I'm gonna get a monitor for it specifically but um, I, I still want to build a tabletop cabinet for that thing because I got it in an uh, Atari 2600 uh, plug-and-play uh, joystick controller thingies. It's one of the early ones that just had 10 games that was shaped like a joystick. I got it yeah. in one of those right now, but I don't know. I'm not really happy with it, mainly because whenever I see that, I want to you know pick up the joystick and use the joystick, but I can't do it. The other thing, and I've been wanting to talk to Ed Laddin about this, is that... One problem I have with uh, with RetroPie, and it's not a problem with RetroPie, because everything in that really works fine, all the different emulators, but the problem is with all the different emulators, you got to keep putzing with the control scheme on all of them because, you know, the Atari 2600 one button, then you get 7800, and then you got the ColecoVision and Intellivision controllers with all those buttons. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely love that vision adapter thing that I have for it because it works well. And in fact, uh, I don't always necessarily use it on my Raspberry Pi, I hook it up to my uh, computer sometimes to use it. But the reason why I was wanting to contact uh, Ed Laddin about it is because I want to see what it would be like to get... Because he just had just had that Kickstarter for the uh, ColecoVision controller. And um, you've heard Sean go on and on about how much he loves his Ed Ladin controllers. And I've played around with it a little bit too. And those things, I mean, they're not cheap. No. But from what little I've played with them... They're worth every damn penny. After looking at the inside of the one you have, I want to wonder if the ClecoVision one that he has has room inside it for a Raspberry Pi plus this adapter thing. Oh. And so I could just have, like, an all-in-one thing. I could put my my (laughs) my Raspberry Pi with RetroPie on it and uh, just have it kind of like a mega plug-and-play thing for the TV. You know what I'm saying? That would be really cool. I've been thinking about that. The only thing I would like, though, is... um, if you made, like, two players, like, all in one unit. Because that way, I could play, well, something along those lines, so that I could have two joysticks for, in case I want to go into MAME and do, like, Robotron, or uh, if I want to go into... Hold on, hold on. This week in Robotron. Okay. Or into, like, the 5200 emulator for uh, Space Dungeon and that sort of thing. But, uh that's something I've thought about, I've thought about, but you know, that's going to be several months before I can even think about purchasing something yeah, along, those, along those lines. But I really want to get one and try it out because, uh, man, uh, my ColecoVision controllers need some work on them. They, uh, I think I've mentioned this before. They just don't work the way that they used to. And I just am too lazy <laughs> to actually do something. My, uh, it's a problem with ADD. My, uh, my attention gets separated hither, thither, and yon, and I've been playing around on a website lately called OpenGeofiction.net, which they have some fictional continents, and basically you can draw maps on them. Oh and, boy! And yeah, I've been going to town with that, and uh, I've got a little country in there. I just now there's started, the
0: shocker of the day.
1: Yeah, I got a little country in there that I, I've only been playing it for about a month. Uh, my my country is called Cubersha. <laughs> you see what I did there. I and, see what you did there. Yeah, and there's a street in there called Lee Street. I and, see what you did there. Yes, and actually the main town, uh, the main town has uh, streets like Lambert Street and Colon Way and uh, Mac Road and uh, stuff like that. Uh, uh, there's a Han Street in there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun. And as long as we're talking about it, I'm just throwing a plug out here for a friend. A friend of the show and all-around good guy and person we're trying to get on for a uh, special episode in the near future. Uh, it's just been a matter of scheduling. Jeffrey Lee, you, he's the uh, creator of Cubert. Uh, I just wanted to throw a shout out for uh, a book that he he actually just wrote a book, and it has absolutely, Ooh, absolutely nothing to do with video games. I haven't read it yet, but. Uh, One thing about Jeff Lee, he sounds like, well, sounds like nothing. I mean, we've met him a few times. He's a very, very, very intelligent person.
0: And he still wants to associate with us.
1: Yeah, but uh, he's got this book. It sounds fascinating. It's called uh, Squire Soldier Spy, The Life of Colonel John Brown of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Uh, You can get it on uh, Amazon. It's about America's first spy of the Revolutionary War. Uh, He's the instigator of the attack of Fort Ticonderoga. And uh, it's uh, it's a historical book. It actually sounds kind of interesting, and uh, I had no idea he was uh, interested in history like this. So not only is he an amazing artist, we've actually seen him paint some stuff in front of us, and it was really really well done. And not only is he a, a, an artist or the creator of Qbert, or uh, <laughs> or a croquet aficionado, but he's uh, he's also really very very. That's the word I'm looking for. Very um, aardvark, aardvark, very interested in uh, in history as well. So just uh, thought I'd throw a uh, shout out for his link in the show notes. notes. Speaking of
0: which, we we still don't have the show notes from episode thirty nine up yet. We don't. We don't. Hmm. Hopefully, by the time this is up, we'll have the show notes updated. But oh, interesting. Sorry, everybody. We have lives. Sort of.
1: Uh, I think that's about everything I have to proffer, if you will. And I will. So, you already um, did. Well, there you go. So stop your proffering already. Hey, stop your proffering. Proffering.
0: Um, continuing on to what I was talking about, uh, I want to finish answering the question that you put forth to me because there was one more thing I, I forgot. Since we last recorded, for the first time ever, I played a complete game of video checkers on the atari 2600 really from start to finish did you win no no i didn't but i was getting angrier and angrier by the second really and all i could think was people bought this thing people bought it
1: well you know sean it's effing checkers
0: yes i i i know that i know that
1: link in the show notes
0: but uh some other stuff that i should mention um uh, I don't know about you there, uh, James G., but um, I do believe in supporting mom-and-pop businesses, mm-hmm. and um, since we last recorded, we got a couple of uh, pretty um, tragic reminders why it's important to do that. Oh? First off, you heard us mention Tokens and Tankards before. Right. Mm-hmm. A new barcade that opened up in Arlington Heights, Illinois. They closed. They're gone. Oh, They weren't around for long. I remember uh, Brian Kipp... Kept- I remember King Henry the Eighth. King Henry the Eighth, sorry, my mistake. Spoke very highly of them, and unfortunately, I never got a chance to get out there. Also, I have mentioned many times in this podcast a place in Chicago called Logan Hardware. Yeah. Logan Hardware is a record store in Logan Square. They have a sister business called Logan Arcade, which is a beercade, mm-hmm. uh, just about a block and a half away from Logan Hardware. Mm -hmm. and logan hardware what i liked about it was they would give you access to what they called an arcade museum if you made a purchase from their record store well they just announced they are closing the arcade museum really really Hmm. and the reason is because basically they were getting fed up with attitudes that a lot of customers came in with i don't know exactly what happened But whoever posted this on their Facebook page said, well, after this customer threw her donations in our faces, we decided no more arcade museum. We're just going to be a record store. And I think a lot of it was people coming in, insisting that they let their kids go into the arcade museum Mm. without paying and everything as if like it's just somewhere something to drop them off so right. they can do something for a while not realizing that hey these are go- right. 30 year old games going 30 year 30 and older there's a reason that they want you to buy something cuz the money has to go to repairs right so basically logan hardware is just the store now uh, if you want to play video games on their property you have to go to their barcade which means yep you have to be 21 years old or older
1: good Although drunk people aren't necessarily good for machines either, but uh, at least they're not going out of business, so that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, they're keeping the store, they're keeping the barcade.
1: After everything you've told me about that place, I really want to get up there, but it's just, you know, I don't really get many opportunities to get into the city. I'm
0: in the city and I still don't get there enough, and I've never been to their barcade. I, I when I was on Facebook a few days ago and I saw here are your Facebook memories you know what you po- what you posted about like years before uh-huh. and one of them I, I posted a link to uh I think it was an article about s- uh, some barcade opening somewhere and I said why can't we have these in my neighborhood well a year ago one opened up in my neighborhood just literally like 3 blocks away and I've yet to go there I've yet hmm. to go there I don't know why I j- I I just haven't gone there yet. I'm going out in the suburbs to go to Underground Retrocade Pixel Blast Galloping Ghost. I don't know. I don't know. Especially because uh, at this place you don't even have to pay to play the games. You only have to pay for the
1: beer. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I don't have really any arcades close to me. There's a little tiny one in uh, in Ottawa, Illinois, but yes. that's uh, that's uh, hooked up with a They got a neat business. They got a, they're in an old church in in downtown Ottawa, Illinois. Uh, they got a little arcade, maybe about 20 machines. Uh, I haven't been there in a while. Uh, O-Net Gaming, that's what it's called. O-N-E-T-T. And uh, it's not just used video games. I mean, they got a lot of used video games for pretty much every system I can think of. Well, at least all of the major classic ones. Uh, but they also have like a bunch of like Magic the Gathering stuff, and uh, they have Pokemon tournaments and Magic the Gathering tournaments. It's basically a nerd store, uh, with the exception of I don't think they sell comics, but I've been in there and I've bought a few things, and uh, their prices seem to be pretty fair. So there's that, and then there's the the Chicago Street Pinball Arcade in Joliet, oh, which I is go there. yeah, which is 12 miles the opposite direction from Ottawa, Illinois. <laughs> oh, and that's about 15 miles to my west, and this other place is about 15 miles to my east. So I haven't gotten a chance to get there either. From all accounts, the uh, from what I've heard, people that that have gone there, they say that that place is really uh, really nice. Uh, I looked at the list of pinball machines that they have there. And there's only like one or two pinball machines that I have ever heard of, which really makes me want to go there even more, just to see what they have. And I think even the two that I have heard of, I've never played. Like Pinbot, they have a Pinbot machine, if I'm not mistaken, and Everybody I've never has played Pinbot. That one. I've never seen it in an arcade. I have You're never kidding seen me. It. No, I am. Not. I think it back.
0: I don't think Underground Retrocade has it. That's because I th- I think uh, I think they like to focus on uh, the less common pinball machines over there
1: which is that you're right that bugs bunny one is really awesome oh
0: yeah yeah i've i've joined club 50 million a couple of times on that oh nice but yeah seriously if you're listening to this podcast voluntarily that kind of tells us that hey you're interested in playing these games please get out there and patronize your local arcades
1: and if you're not listening to this podcast voluntarily we want to ask you some questions
0: I mean, seriously, if you're in the Chicago area, get yourself the underground retrocade Pitchfield Blast Galloping Ghost and the various barcades. Portlanders, get yourself to ground control with a K. Those of you in Denver, get to the 1-Up. In New Jersey, go to the different Yestercades locations. Go to Silver Ball and Asbury Richie Park. Knuckles. Richie Knuckles, go to Richie Knuckles. Go to I Richie Knuckles. Go there.
1: We really need to try to get a trip out to New Jersey just to go to Richie Knuckles.
0: I'm going to New Jersey in November, and I, I'll i see if I can sneak my way out there. But
1: You suck. I'll be amazed if I can make it somewhere else in Illinois within 40 miles. <laughs> I is Yes, poor. you
0: heard it here. Jimmy G is jealous of somebody who's going to New Jersey.
1: Wow, there's a phrase you haven't ever heard before. Yep. Those of you in
0: Manchester, get yourself to Arcade Club.
1: Yeah, get yourself to Arcade Club, which is, the isn't that one the largest arcade in Europe? Uh, I think that's I what think they so. say. Yeah, like, they had sub-200 games, and uh, just like the Europeans to, like, half-ass things. <sighs> Wait, did I say that out loud just now? Hmm. <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, I think that's all of the witty banter that we have for now. Well... Wait,
0: you don't think I'm going
1: to be witty? It's banter anyway. It's banter on. anyway. So, do we have any... Addenda and errata. And Do we have any addenda and errata? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, well.
0: Well, actually, actually, we only have addenda. I don't think we really have errata, unless I'm mistaken, in which case that would be uh, an errata right there. We heard from Victor Marlin, a.k.a. Vert Vic, a.k.a. Vert Vic Viper. He heard me get angry about hey, how people pronounce the name of uh, the Mac operating system that is called El Capitan, uh, how it's OS 10 and not OS X. Well, he tweeted It's actually plain old Mac OS now, not 10 or X. Pa. Well, I have a um, erratum for VertVic Viper here. He spelled it capital M A C and then a new word, capital O capital S. Actually, it's, Lowercase MAC and then Capital OS with no space.
1: I was wondering if that was like a, a breakfast cereal or something. MacO's. MacO's with the rich taste of Apple.
0: And not only that, but this is not Nerada on me because I'll tell you why. I was specifically referring to El Capitan, which is still under the OS 10 moniker. Sierra, which is the current Mac operating system, is the first operating system that is classified as Mac OS. So, uh-huh. there so, so, there go. So, there.
1: And everyone knows El Capitan is a mountain in Yosemite National Park in California. Yeah,
0: Yosemite being the previous Mac operating system before that one.
1: Whoa. ah uh-huh. See what they did there? Microsoft operating systems were named after cities. There was... Detroit. Cairo. Chicago was one of them. Chicago was one of them. I think Memphis was another one. Well, those
0: one. were their code names, but the thing is, everybody knew what the code names were, so why would they call them code names? Well, that's true. Like, oh, there's a new window coming out. Head. They're calling it Chicago right now. It's like, how's
1: that How's that a code name? We know it. But I don't know. <laughs> it's code name Chicago. A file dies every 20 minutes due to some sort of violence.
0: <laughs> well, at least on the that's southern, on the southern and western motive. portions of the hard drive.
1: Well, of course. You wouldn't want to have it right in the center of the hard drive. No. Yeah, keep it away from that. that's where the important files are.
0: And there's an addendum I want to add, too. I'm kind of cribbing this from... Uh, you want to add something to an addendum? Yes, I do. Well, actually, no, it's it's addending to uh, two episodes ago. When we talked about Do Run Run. Uh-huh. I was listening to the, uh, well, it's not going to be the latest by the time this episode gets out, but the latest, as of this recording, the latest episode of, um, of Amigos podcast, mm-hmm. their topic was arcade conversions. They, they talked about like three or four arcade conversions, that mm-hmm. ended up on the Amiga. The last one they talked about was Do Run Run, which John Bode of yes. Cars Schaller says was his favorite arcade game. And this is something I didn't really realize. He said that is probably the longest interval between arcade release and official home release. Really? Because Do Run Run came out in 1984 in the arcade. It came out on the Amiga in 1990.
1: Hmm. We're not talking something like, you know, you had Robotron in the arcade and then, say, years later, Robotron X on the PlayStation. We're talking straight-up official
0: port. Straight-up official. It wasn't a homebrew or anything. It was real. And it was the only Mr. Do game ported to the Amiga, despite the fact that Mr. Do's Castle and Mr. Do were much more popular in the arcade.
1: I'm just thinking through things here. There was Mr. Do on the super Nintendo and that didn't come out to like 92 or nine. Well, no 90, I think Well, I'll
0: put it to you this way. The first, the longest interval between arcade release and first official home release
1: first official home release. Okay. Well, that makes a little more sense then.
0: Yeah, that's, that's at least what I am inferring from what, uh, John was talking about. I see. Have you any done dinner? I don't want to hog the whole segment.
1: Well, I usually hog everything anyway, so...
0: Oh, that's not a hog. Sorry.
1: I need to find whatever happened to Vernal the Wonder Pig. He needs to keep Mr. Rabbit happy. Uh, yeah, I generally hog everything anyway, so especially if it's uh, cheeseburgers or chili or pizza or just food in general, and I need to stop that if I'm going to lose weight. But uh, no, I'm good. So All right. shall we move on? All right, here? yeah, let's... Uh, uh,
0: what's the blender thing we have to say about Adendo and Arata?
1: Let's put a den den in the blender and hit Liquify. Yay! So,
0: what do you want to do now, Mr. Moderator, host, person?
1: Well, I'm kind of curious about uh, one of these two games. And uh, so, I'm going to let you handle the hosting duties for this game. Oh. And let's talk about Stratovox. Stratovox. Ah, Stratovox. Ah, Stratovox. You know the word vox means voice.
0: Yeah, it comes from the Latin word woax, meaning voice. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, very good.
1: You learned something today.
0: The more you know. Now,
1: about... And knowing is half the battle. About Stratovox,
0: it was released in Japan in May 1980, courtesy of our friends at Taito. And elsewhere, it was released in August 1980. Sometimes it is called Speak and Rescue. Why is it called Speak and Rescue sometimes? Well, first of all, you have to rescue something. Specifically, you have to rescue astronauts.
1: A name like that, I think of the little uh, speak and spell from Texas Instruments. Well, yeah, that's
0: the fourth in the series. Uh, It it was the least successful, even less successful than speak and read and speak and math. But speak and rescue. Why is it called speak and rescue? Well, because it has a voice in it. Now, most sources I've found say that the voice is synthesized. It sounds actually digitized to me stratovox is allegedly the first arcade game that has some sort of audible speech in it it will say things such as "Help me," we'll be back very good lucky depending on the various circumstances which i will get to momentarily the way that stratovox is i'm gonna have to explain this a little bit because this isn't a very common game wasn't terribly successful But it's um, a lot of sources say that it's kind of like Galaxian, which in a way it is. From
1: the little I've played, yeah, it's kind of like if Galaxian was mashed up with Defender, I guess. Yeah. What
0: happens is there are UFOs flying around and you have to shoot the UFOs. And of course, they are shooting at you.
1: You know, I want to believe.
0: Meanwhile, you are controlling a two-way joystick that moves your ship back and forth and you have to fire at the UFOs. Not only do you have to shoot the UFOs before they shoot you, but you also have to keep them from kidnapping the astronauts that are on this right side of the screen. They're kind of stacked up vertically.
1: I was going to say, they're kind of like hovering in space. They're not like on yeah. the ground, which is kind well, if of they're weird. they're
0: astronauts, they might be zero gravity. So oh,
1: that yeah, that, that's true. That's true. That You yeah. could hover in that.
0: If a UFO grabs one of the astronauts, you'll hear the astronaut say, help me. Help me. And you have to hurry up and shoot down that UFO before the UFO returns all the way to the left side of the screen, in which case your astronaut is officially kidnapped and you can't get him back. Now, what's interesting is sometimes the UFOs will attack in groups. Like there will be a pair or a trio of UFOs. And the more UFOs that are grouped, if a group of UFOs actually kidnaps an astronaut that group of UFOs will move slower the more UFOs there are in the group. So hmm. that can actually make it easier to rescue the astronauts. You could use that as a strategy right there.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm going to pause you for just a second here. I think I figured out the theme for today's episode. So keep <laughs> going. Basically, that's
0: what you do. You try to rescue the uh, astronauts and protect them from being kidnapped. If you rescue an astronaut, you hear a voice that says, Very good. Very good. Yay. At the end of a level, you get a bonus for every astronaut that was not kidnapped. And for every astronaut, you will hear a voice say, Lucky. So if you had four astronauts in your bonus, then you would hear,
1: Lucky, 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 Lucky. You know, I know. we could have paired this game with uh, Miss World Nude 95. Why? Because if you get up over a 95% clear on that game, it says the word Lucky on the screen. Oh yeah, but the less said about that game, the better.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, I hope we already said everything we have to say about that
1: game. <laughs> yeah, <It's>, man. <laughs> Go back and listen to that episode. Uh, I don't. I don't think we're gonna reference that game or Professor Pac-Man very much anymore. Oh,
0: brother. Anyway, um, off the top of my head, I don't know how the scoring goes. All I know is it is a low-scoring game, but it's a very, very difficult game too because. These UFOs will move faster than you. Oh, man. Especially if one UFO takes one of your astronauts. You have to be really fast and basically fire at that thing right away. And if you miss, you could pretty much kiss that astronaut goodbye.
1: Kiss your astronaut goodbye. Kiss it goodbye. Nana. hey. Okay, Bye. question. Question, sir. What happens if all the astronauts get kidnapped?
0: <laughs> then you lose and the game's over.
1: Ah, I see. That makes sense.
0: Even if you have lives left over, like you start off with three lives and you can get a bonus life. Right. I believe they usually set it for 5,000. Oh, and also, depending on how generous the arcade owner is, the machine can be set to actually replenish your astronauts after every level.
1: Okay. I was wondering if you could get the astronauts back.
0: You have to change the dip switches for that. And also what's interesting is that the game allows you to set how frequently a kidnapping happens. Oh, really? yeah you could oh. set the machine to be rather conservative with uh, kidnapping attempts. you could set it for frequent. so that's an interesting little uh thing yes, yeah thing That's really Stratovox right there. everything you need to know about it. There's not really a heck of a lot to it. What do you have to add about Stratovox, if anything?
1: Well, I have never seen this in the arcade uh, although I think I may have seen it does uh does Galloping Ghost have it? Galloping Ghost and Underground Retrocade both have it. Okay, I have seen it in the arcade then. I never saw it way back in the classic era. You're actually one up on me on this game, because you've probably played it before Uh I did, and I've played it uh, a little bit uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, especially when you first told me about this game. And, um, I don't know. It's there. I mean, I like the sound. I like the the voice. But it just, I don't know, just something about this game just kind of doesn't Grab me, I guess. Well,
0: I know what you mean. I don't know if you'd agree with me on this, but one thing that I don't really like about the game is the graphics are very low res. I mean, yeah, it's 1980. It's very early in the uh, golden age of video games. But right. the graphics are very unimpressive. They're color, but that's about the best you can say about that.
1: The hardware platform, though, might be kind of it because in 1980, uh, I believe Defender came out in 1980. I believe so, and that's a very graphically impressive game for the time. It really
0: is. So, WTF there?
1: So, but then again, Williams was an American company. Uh, I mean, you can't compare the gameplay. We're just comparing the right. graphics. Exactly. Uh, but uh, Williams, an American company, Taito was Japanese. Maybe there was a cultural reason for the uh, the graphics. Maybe just it was just maybe they're using just older hardware, trying to you know get out whatever they could. But uh, could be it just. But then again, I mean, you criticized Phoenix for not having the best graphics in the world, and I thought that for uh, for the time they came out, they were quite spectacular. So, you're my Aunt fairy.
0: When I play Stratavox, I immediately think of Phoenix. The graphics remind me so much of the Phoenix graphics.
1: It, the game is reminiscent of Phoenix in many ways, I would say. But I think Phoenix is the much superior game, personally. But
0: that's just me. Sometimes it reminds me of Scottsdale.
1: Sometimes it reminds me of Prescott. Or Rim Village. Wait a minute, that sounds dirty. That's a town in the Grand Canyon.
0: However, having said that, that the graphics don't really impress me, what does impress me is the voice on there.
1: The voice is very good for the time.
0: It's very good, period, boy howdy. If you've only played Stradivox in MAME, you are not hearing it right. You really aren't. Because the voice absolutely sounds terrible and digitally distorted in MAME, for whatever reason. Really? And yeah, it really does. Hmm.
1: Well, everybody should know going into, you know, playing emulation, you're not getting the full experience. You're not getting the game played in the way it was meant to be played in more ways than one. uh, They get really, really close with it, but uh, people do notice differences. You know, you can notice differences in anything that you play in emulation. But continue.
0: I'd watched a couple of YouTube videos, and the thing is, like, all the voices sound like garbage on the YouTube videos. The other sounds are fine. So. I was like, okay, why is it when I go to Underground Retrocade the voice sounds perfect? It sounds a- see, I can't tell if it's digitized or synthesized. I would not be surprised if it's actually digitized because it's that clear. So I asked uh, Scott over in Underground Retrocade. I said, "Hey, yeah. do you guys have an enhanced Stratovox or anything?" He said, "No, not at all. It's the real thing." I was like, "Oh, okay, so it must be Mame or something that makes the, huh. that, that that where you just can't reproduce the the voice." in the best quality possible. And having said that, I think it's the same guy, no matter what, because it's the exact same voice that says, help me and we'll be back. Like basically the voice of your fellow astronauts and the voice of your enemies is the same. It's, it sounds like a guy with a long Island accent or something.
1: You know, I have to say, um, I'm, I'm just looking at a picture of the cabinet right now. And again, we don't generally mention the cabinets, but I'm looking at the marquee. The marquee is actually quite nice. And it's funny, there's one uh, one alien is uh, got shooting a beam toward a human, and the human is saying, they've got me! And then uh, one of the astronauts is firing a gun, and he's saying, this is unreal! So, <laughs> uh, Neither of
0: which is actually spoken in the game.
1: No, 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 they're not.
0: So, go figs. And, of course, the original version in Japan has a Japanese voice that says, TASUKETE! instead of, HELP ME. So, really, is there much more to say about Stratovox? I I don't know. Personally, I think Stratovox is a much cooler title than Speak and Rescue.
1: And by the way, um, I don't know. there There's three different types of aliens in the game. And I'm just looking here, and I'm seeing the scoring. Uh, there's, like, one that's yellow and red. That's worth 100 points. And I think that's, uh, in each formation, there's one alien that is actually does the kidnapping. It's the one of a different color, I think. Maybe I'm not. Uh, I th- and,
0: I th- that sounds right, actually.
1: Yeah, and there's a, a yellow alien that's worth 50 points. And then there's, like, a bigger one. It looks like a blue and yellow alien with, like, a red body, and it just has question marks for the points. So... Uh, that's a screenshot that I'm looking at, so...
0: Oh, oh yes, nice
1: indeed. We never do this. Let's see if there's anything on eBay right now in regards to the game. This You'd is be something- surprised. There probably is. Yeah, and uh, here we are. Uh, there's a Stratavox flyer folded for eight ninety five, 95 and another or- original Tito Stratavox arcade game advertising flyer for seventeen fifty, And ooh, 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 the control panel. Um, uh, the, the control panel for Stredovax uh auction ends in 14 hours from when we're recording that's $295 for that and the uh, the ooh the uh the bezel $109.99 right now wow and uh no, here's a arcade operator manual for it, 750 another brochure for $27.50 $7.50, I hope $7.50 another manual here's one for 14 and one for 12 and um Ooh, service instruction and parts catalog for Stratavox, 15 bucks. So, hey. Hey. I wonder if somebody's actually got the the ROM board for it. I'm going to look real quick. Come on, load, you bastard. Oh, dude! Somebody's got a Stratavox marquee fridge magnet. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's someone <laughs> who makes those. Yeah, 10 bucks, but still. Uh, still. Oh, there's other things called Stratavox that aren't arcade games. This is a... Sam's Photo Fact folder, Stratavox model. I don't know what that is. There's a copy of Replay Magazine. It has Blackout Ripoff, Hot Dog, and Stratavox. Oh, by the, way, the
0: joystick is on the left, the fire button is on the right.
1: Okay. Ooh, this says Stratavox on it, but it's uh, not the arcade game. It might be oh, a guitar. It's a radio. It's an old radio. Well, yeah,
0: it says radio on it. Oh, it's a radio photo fact.
1: It's, it's like a, a a manual for it. Ooh, I just happened upon this. First of all, <laughs> Stratovox comes up with Spider Fighter for auction. We like to
0: talk about home ports. Uh, thing is, Stratovox, there really aren't any home ports. However, uh, there are a couple of uh, games that are dangerously close to uh, Stratovox for various home systems. And by various, I mean at least two The Apple II had a game called Bandits. The thing about Bandits is that it is uh, dangerously close to how Stratovox is, and something we didn't mention is that on Stratovox, those of you who never played it, for your information, off to the right side of the screen, you see a a kind of a partial view of the moon. Mm -hmm. Bandits also has that same view of the moon. It has the same layout as Stratovox. The difference is that instead of rescuing astronauts, you're actually keeping fruit from being kidnapped. Which is not too dissimilar from another game called Spider Fighter. Have you ever heard of Spider Fighter?
1: Why, yes, I did. In fact, I just mentioned it.
0: Oh, really? So did I. So did I, like, about half an hour ago. And uh, that is an Activision game for the Atari 2600. And uh, according to Digital Press, it is, and I quote, much like the coin-op game, Stratovox, but without the voice. Um, I kind of agree with that. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree with that in that uh, the attack starts on the left and moves toward the right. And there are things up in the upper right that you have to protect, specifically uh, fruits and other produce. Uh, The only thing is, I played several rounds of this tonight. I played several rounds of Spider-Fighter. I think I saw maybe one attempt at a kidnapping. I mean, the kidnapping seems to be pretty rare. Either that or I'm just that good at Spider-Fighter.
1: Or you're playing the baby variation. There's only one variation, though, as far as I know. So maybe it's a baby variation. Do the uh, difficulty switches do anything?
0: I didn't check.
1: Well, maybe you should, Mister.
0: Well, okay, I will RTFM right now. Oh, it says set both difficulty switches to A to begin. I had I had them in uh, in B. Uh-oh. Oh, no way. I had it in expert mode. So I was doing that ah. well in expert mode. Well. So that's that's something. Yeah, and the right difficulty switch, it's either straight pellets or guided pellets. I was using guided pellets on that. So anyway, why don't we talk about uh, high scores in Stratovox? Why
1: don't we? I couldn't tell you what mine is because I've played this so few times. But then again, even when I play a game a lot, I don't really record them anyway, so.
0: Hey, there you go. Um, Twin Galaxies uh, set. Well, this is uh, with the... Dip is set to extra life at the first five thousand. I think that's the only extra life you get. Astronauts not being replenished and the kidnapping frequency jacked up a little bit. Robbie Lakeman um, has the record. Uh huh. Robbie Lakeman has the record of one hundred seventy four thousand four hundred. Yeah, this is not wow. a high scoring game. This is not yeah, a high scoring no. game, and that was verified August twenty third, two thousand thirteen. And according to Orcade.com, in which the kidnappings are set a little bit more laid back, so you're given a little bit more mercy there, Robbie Lakeman um, has that record as well, performed during the 16th Annual Classics Championship at Fun Spot on May 28, 2014, Mm -hmm. with a score of 118,950. As for me, I'm assuming this is arcade.com settings. Uh, This was at Underground Retrocade, um, I believe when I was last there. 12,200. Yeah. (sighs) I'm not very good at most video games, am I?
1: You're better at more than I am. Well, you got a world record on at least one game. I don't have anything even close to a world record on any game.
0: Keeping in mind that I have a world record on a machine of which only seven are known to exist. Still.
1: The only game I think I'm better than you at is Gyrus. and probably Zevius, and probably the,
0: you're probably better at better. I'm than probably better at shooter.
1: I'm probably you know what I'm probably better at shooter games than you are. I think you probably like better like Donkey Kong and maze type games than I am.
0: Hmm. If I'm better at Donkey Kong than you are, it's only because I know the patterns. Yeah. And I still can't
1: get past the third elevator level. We should put that to the test. See who's better uh-huh. at what type of game. Hmm. Oh yeah. I guess with that, uh, are we ready to rate the game? I'm ready to rate the game. Go for it. You go first. All
0: right. I I know this is being vain, but I'd like to think that my measly 12,200 points is simply because I don't really play the game that much. And to be quite honest, the only reason I played it the last time I played it was because I thought I could just boost my score a little, which I did. Stratavox is... Uh, you definitely have to play it. You have to play it at least once just to experience it for no other reason. And one thing that I did think of when I was reading all these comparisons to Galaxian, one of the reasons that I really don't like Galaxian and Galaga is all you're doing is you're just shooting things in the sky and that's it. There doesn't seem to be any real purpose with Stratovox. There is a purpose. You're trying to keep these UFOs from kidnapping your astronauts. So, with that, I it's it's definitely a more enjoyable game for me than Galaxian and Galaga. However, I can't I can't really honestly rate it higher than a three. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it just doesn't have that much of a replay value. I'll play maybe two, three games and I'm done with
1: it, you know. So three continues. This game just doesn't grab me at all. I, I don't think it's a bad game. and it's, and it's got, you know, with the voice was kind of uh, kind of revolutionary for the time. And so, you know, you got to give props for that. But I just I just don't think this is a very fun game. At least not to me. I can't rate it higher than a two. That's fair enough. Well, damn straight it's fair. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Fair what is did fair. Can say,
0: be I, did they not just say it's fair?
1: Yeah, you did.
0: So that's what the hell I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. So I just got to give you an attitude because that's kind of what I do. Dang. Gosh. Vote for Pedro. Um. So I think of that we should move on. Let's move on. And now, our feature presentation. We're going to talk about the, uh, I guess you can't really call it the granddaddy of video games, because that would be Pong. But, uh, well, really, that would be computer space. Well, tennis for two. (laughs) We're really going back, but arcade gaming would be Pong. But, uh, it's probably the most culturally important video game ever. It was Which f- is
0: why it took us only 40 episodes to talk
1: about it. Dang straight. And um, it's not the most... I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to give you the name of it. Space Invaders. Now, I'm going to go over this quickly because everybody knows how to play Space Invaders. Don't we?
0: All right. If you don't know how to play Space Invaders, just find somebody who's 40 or older.
1: Yes. Basically, you got a ship at the bottom of the screen. Move it left or right. There's a whole group of invaders. I think there's like 55... And different rows above you, moving from left to right, gets to the right side of the screen. They all move down one, go back to the left, move down one, go back to the right. Until they reach the bottom of the screen. They reach the bottom of the screen. Your game is over. You have three shields that uh, that are permanently on the screen that help you. You can shoot through them to blow chunks away for protection. Or just to blow chunks. Or just to blow chunks. And the invaders will shoot down at you all the while everything's going on. The shields will absorb some of them and blow a chunk out of the shields. Every now and then, a mystery ship goes from left to right, and you can get any number of mystery bonus points for that. And that, in a nutshell, is Space Invaders. Okay, first of all, Space Invaders is by the the company Taito. Uh, it was licensed to Bally Midway for American Distribution. And uh, so it's interesting that uh, Bally Midway... Two of the most influential, most important video games of all time, Pac-Man and Space Invaders, are both Japanese games that were licensed to Ben. So
0: is Tinkle Pit, and it's also a Namco game.
1: Oh, yeah, that was
0: pretty influential, too. If you don't know what the scoring is, then play it.
1: It's interesting. The American cabinet has a a left button and a right button and a fire button, whereas the Japanese cabinet actually has a two-way joystick. Uh, I've never seen the Japanese cabinet because that's in Japan. 65,000 Space Invaders cabinets were manufactured in the US. However, 300,000, I believe it was, were manufactured worldwide. And actually, you know what? This is interesting. Out of curiosity, when I read how many cabinets Space Invaders had, uh, I was curious what the top 10 all time worldwide manufactured arcade games were. And uh, would you be interested in this list? There's actually a couple of oh, surprises do tell. on do this tell. list. Okay, well let me just pull back up here, and here it is. Now, I bet you'll guess what number one is.
0: It's gotta be Pac Man.
1: (laughs) Yes, four hundred thousand cabinets worldwide. Number two is Space Invaders at three hundred and sixty thousand. This one kinda shocked me, but not really. Number three is Street Fighter two. Two hundred thousand. Now I'm assuming. I, I can
0: almost see that.
1: I can buy that. Now it doesn't say if it's Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition, Street Fighter 2 Alpha, Street Fighter 2 Your Mom's a Dirty Scum Sucking Pig. Uh, it's just Street Fighter 2. Uh, number 4 is I'm going to give you let you have a guess. Do, number 4, Asteroids? No, Donkey Kong. Donkey 132,000. Okay. Next one is Ms. Pac-Man at 125. Now this is worldwide. This is not just US. This is worldwide. Right. Asteroids is next at 100,000, then Defender at 60,000, Centipede at 55,000. Now,
0: and Duke has the high score in every one of them. I'm
1: yeah. convinced of it. Now, I'm, I'm going to skip over number 9 for just a moment. It's a Sega game, but you'll never guess which one it is. Number 10 is Tempest at 29,000. There's a, a steep drop-off here in worldwide numbers, so I'm wondering if maybe that's not all of the information on Tempest. Uh, I didn't see anything to indicate that that was an incomplete number. But at number 9, at 38,614 cabinets, I never heard of this game. Star Horse 2. The what? Star Horse 2. It's a Sega game. I was looking it up a little bit, and it's a Sega horse racing game, arcade game, and this is from... The Star Horse series started in 2000, then there was uh, Star Horse 2001, 2002, Star Horse Progress in 2003, and Star Horse 2 New Generation in 2005, Star Horse 2 Second Fusion 2006 and then Star Horse 3 in 2011. In 2009, at least 10,657 machines of Star Horse 2 5th Expansion alone had been sold to arcade operators.
0: That must be one of those games they put in a lot of sports facilities. It's a horse race. game. It's, like, it's, it's a gotta horse be like an game. off-track betting sites.
1: I'm wondering about that. It's it's a horse racing game. In fact, so like there was an arcade stuff, game
0: like, like where you put like golden tea in those games. Right, Big Buck right. Hunter.
1: That's what I'm wondering. There was a, there was an arcade game, and I think it was Japan only, and I can't remember who made it, uh, but it was called Arlington Million, and everybody it knows, it might have just been called Arlington, but it was a horse racing game, and everybody from uh, that's into horse racing or from the Chicago area knows arlington park is like one of the premier horse racing facilities worldwide and so i thought that was interesting but uh but yeah i thought that was uh quite interesting there was a game on that list i had never heard of before and that was quite the education and we'll probably never talk about star horse although now i'm curious about it i'm gonna see if it's in mame (laughs) (laughs) kind of like what happened with tinkle pit in a way i guess but uh
0: Oh, I wonder if, if maybe Dylan's might have it down, uh, just a little bit down the road from uh, Underground Retrocade or Brixie's across from uh, Galloping Ghost.
1: Uh, I don't know. It looks like it's only a uh, Japanese game. Uh, before I was so rudely interrupting myself, uh, I was going to go on about the, uh, the scoring in Space Invaders. Large invaders are worth 10 points. Medium-sized invaders are worth 20. Small invaders are worth 30. Now, the larger ones are at the bottom, the smaller ones are at the top. And there's like two rows of them. And then the UFOs are 50 to 300 points. The points that you get for the UFO are actually determined by how many shots you fire. Oh, really? Yeah, I was reading this. um, That I did not know. Yeah, and I was reading this, and there is a shot counting trick, and I got this from arcadehistory.com. It was uh, discovered by a guy named Eric Furrer. Furrer. He's he's a furry. How's it spelled? F-U-R-R-E-R. So here's what it is. When a level begins... Start counting the shots from your base, and it doesn't matter if they hit something or if they just go off the screen. It, it's dependent on if you hit the fire button. Oh, and by the way, you can only have one shot on the screen at a time. Let's throw that in there. When the new level begins, to start counting the shots from your base. We so you have fired 22 shots, stop shooting, and wait for the Mystery Saucer. Use the 23rd shot to blast the Mystery Saucer. And this is guaranteed to get you 300 points on the Mystery Saucer every time. After that, start counting your shots again. This time you count only to 14, Then use the 15th shot to hit the Mystery Saucer. Then you do the 14th shot rule again, until, and you keep doing that until the level is finished. So 23rd shot, the Saucer. 15th shot after that, the Saucer, and so on. And it resets to uh, the 23, 15, 15 on uh, each subsequent level. And as I said, all shots count, whether it's a hit or a miss. And that's the way you can guarantee getting 300 points on your Saucer every time. So it's determined how by the number of times you hit the fire button. Uh, apparently, there's a, a hidden message in the uh, in Space Evaders. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, when the demo starts, you press uh, really all the buttons on the machine at the same time, and you keep pressing them rapidly. And if you're successful, the message Taito Corp" will appear on the high score. Uh, I think that is the uh, Japanese version, though. I don't know if that's in the American version. And um, well, the Japanese version—that's only three buttons. Yeah, that's true. That would have to be on the American because the Japanese has the joystick, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, this is something interesting. With Space Invaders, they're first of all, I guess it took them longer to develop the hardware for the game than it did the actual programming of the game. And the hardware is really just a black and white monitor. The monitor's is uh, one of those... I believe we talked about this with Terminator 2, where the um, the monitor is on the bottom of the screen. we talked a few games like this. I think Asteroids Deluxe as well. The yeah. Monitor's on the bottom of the machine, And it's reflecting up to a mirror, which is on the back of the cabinet. Uh, The mirror actually has like a a space background printed. And I think there's uh, also, uh, it's colored so that it makes the aliens look like they're colored. The game is actually black and white. So it uses like an overlay to create the colors that are on the screen. With the game, the more aliens that are on the screen, the slower they move. And the more that you destroy, the faster they go across the screen. And that's not because the game was programmed that way. The game, all the invaders were supposed to actually just go across all the time at the same speed. But what happened was they found out that the fewer invaders that were on the screen, because of the way the hardware was designed, it really couldn't handle a lot of objects on screen without slowdown. And you see that in a lot of games, like uh, like on Atari or the NES, uh, the, well, the NES Vectrex especially, Vectrex, because the machine isn't powerful enough to handle a lot of items on screen. But they decided not to fix this particular hardware issue because they thought that was a nice way to keep the challenge up. And when you get this, that last invader on the screen, oh boy, does this game really get hard with that last one. Has anybody, uh, I'm assuming pretty much everybody has seen the famous Futurama episode. Uh, I was one of their. I have not. You have not. It's one of their anthology episodes called Tales of Interest, (laughs) where uh, it's uh, really the movie Pixels ripped off this episode of Futurama. Really, they did. And at the end of it, Donkey Kong sends down a bunch of space invaders to attack, and the lead character of Futurama, Fry, was like. All right. It's Saturday
0: night. I have no date. A two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-Rush
1: mixtape. Let's rock. <laughs> and, he does, and he starts destroying all the space invaders. And uh, at the end of it, he's like...
0: Oh, I could never get the last one. My brother always got it for me.
1: And Donkey Kong was like, Ha! Huh, you should have aimed for where the invader was going to be, not where it was. The whole reason they were invading Earth is because they needed quarters to do their laundry. So... There you go. We'll see if it's on YouTube. Probably not. Thank you, Fox. Uh, Link in the show notes. Possibly, possibly, possibly. Possibly. I'm sure we can get a sample from it, though. That was a good episode. Yeah, the uh, (laughs) that was a good show, but I never really watched it that much. I couldn't get into it. I tried watching it. I just couldn't get into it. All right, back to Space Invaders. There's not a lot to say about the gameplay itself. It's a since you mentioned
0: it, there is another Easter egg in Space Invaders. Oh. Oh indeed. What you have to do is destroy every space invader except a space invader in the very first row. Okay. And then what happens is when there's only one space invader on the screen and it's from the very bottom row, it's going to leave a trail like mm-hmm. a, like a blurry trail. Behind it, And if you're playing, oh, we didn't mention this, Deluxe Space
1: Invaders. Well, we're going to talk about ports and uh, sequels and, and stuff in a moment. but Well,
0: jumping a little bit ahead, Deluxe Space Invaders, yes. in, in a nutshell, is a color version of Space Invaders. The same Easter egg is in that, except the trail that it leaves is kind of a rainbow trail. And if you're skillful enough to destroy that final Space Invader, yeah. uh, it leaves kind of this big rainbow explosion.
1: Ah, so well, there you go. So, that's yeah, that's cool. that's the
0: Easter egg. <laughs> th- yeah, you you something- gotta be really careful with that though.
1: Here's something awesome about Space Invaders. It's uh, one of the earliest games that has like uh, some humor in it. Actually, in the attract mode, it says uh, "Play Space Invaders" and uh, "Insert Coin." The Y in the word "Play" is upside down, and oh, a little yeah. space invader will march into the screen, grab the Y, take it off screen, and then bring it back onto the screen right side up. And then uh, later on, where it says "Insert Coin." There's two C's on coin. The space evader will come out and blast one of the C's and go off screen. So that's, uh, that's kind of neat. This game's got a few little things like, th- well, maybe that's the only one. But uh, this game continues, though. One thing I love about video games from that era is the explosions. Oh, gosh, the explosions. Oh, you love the, explosions. The explosions in these games from this era, with the exception of the Williams games, but pretty much all the Taito, Namco games uh, and like the Atari games all had these nice deep rich explosions Sega games also had these nice deep rich booming explosions they are a sound to behold man my ADD is like kicking in there's so much I want to say about Space Invaders and it's like I don't know, there's bloody... so much to say about Space well, Invaders that, that's You'd just welcome. the thing and that we might as well segue into ports and sequels as long sure. as we're talking about it I mean because you want to talk about a lot to talk about when it comes to Space Invaders, just straight-up Space Invaders, the original game, the original game was actually not very widely ported. Uh, it was only on a handful of consoles in the classic era. There's the very famous Atari 2600 port, which, if it wasn't for Space Invaders, Atari and the 2600 would not be kind of the iconic game system or iconic company. Well, Atari's not iconic anymore. Uh, hashtag notmyAtari. my Atari. Every time I see something coming from the new Atari... Uh, the the reason you see the recent thing I just posted yesterday, there's Atari yeah. branded earbuds. Yep. Uh, Other oh, res- earbuds? There there might be headphones, but I responded with the hashtag not my Atari, and I've been yeah, I, it's uh, Atari in name only. Yes. So I created the hashtag not my Atari. Feel free to use it or not. I don't care. But if well, it was because
0: I'm going to charge people to use it.
1: Well, there you go. If it wasn't for Space Invaders, the Atari 2600 would not be the powerhouse iconic video game system that it became, because Space Invaders is what sold the consoles. Atari got the license for Space Invaders, and it it plays similar to it. The graphics aren't close to it, and I don't believe you can blast away the enemy's missiles in the 2600 version. It's been a while since I've played it. I think you can, actually. Can you? Inser- well, the thing is, there are 112 you know what I think- variations. Yes! I cannot believe how they actually got so many different variations. That... You could do a whole episode about just Space Invader. You could do a whole two-hour episode just about the 2600 Space Invaders and all of the different variations. Had- I bet you Ferg did. Yeah, he probably did. Well, the thing uh, is, he, like, he, I, I
0: can imagine, like, as a programmer myself, I don't program games, but I'm a programmer, I can imagine that it was very easy to do because all you're doing is like set. It's probably just adjusting variables and stuff.
1: Well, there's a little bit more to it than that, though, because, first of all, way back then... Not only was it Space Invaders, and it played almost exactly like the arcade Space Invaders, but there were so many variations, it was probably one of the best value video game cartridges way back then in the early time. Oh, yeah. Well, as we said, the 112 or whatever variations, first of all, there were two-player variations where we're alternating or at the same time. Yeah. Which is one of the things, we, as we are saying, we love about some of the early Atari 7800 games. So this was like two players at the same time in some of the variations. Uh, some of them, the invaders were invisible. Uh, some of them, the shields would go back and forth. Some you don't have shields. Some, some of them some don't have of them- the shields
0: the invaders bullets would kind of zigzag sometimes yes
1: yes and some of them you could steer your shots or they could steer their shots or both and then you had the difficulty switches which, which you just plan- adds to it but then which adds to it so if you, you, you take that into consideration you had like well over 200 different variations oh,
0: and what did the difficulty switches do
1: if you had them set to b your base was normal size you had it set to a it was double size it made it wider The one thing with Atari 2600 Space Invaders, the very first variation of the game is the most like the arcade. Uh, It doesn't have any of the other special bells and whistles. It's Space Invaders. But there's a trick, and I don't think I've ever played an honest game of Space Invaders since I found this trick. Put the cartridge in the 2600 and hold down the reset button. Then turn it on and let off the reset button. Whereas in the normal Space Invaders, you have one shot, now you have two.
0: I don't know if that works on the 7800, though. I haven't tried that yet.
1: I have not tried that on the 7800. It works on the 2600, and I think you can fry it in the yes. uh, the Stella emulator to get it to happen. And on the real thing, too. Yes, will make that but the, the, the safest way is to hold the reset button down and then power the unit on. It might not work on the 7800, but it's worth a shot. Uh, yeah. Let us know if you've tried that. Also, while
0: I'm at it, um, I just wanted to mention that... The Atari 2600 Space Invaders was probably the first video game I ever played, ever. Really? Really. Oh, wow. And it's my favorite version of Space Invaders, too, to this day.
1: For me, my first video game was uh, actually a, one of the Coleco uh, Pong knockoffs. I just love it a lot. I think it's a lot better than the arcade version because it has a you know it has what? color
0: for one thing. And you know, it's just all around really f- a lot of fun.
1: The only thing that could have made it better is if it looked more like the arcade that was actually corrected later on in the 2600 lives. There's been a live, There's been a, a lot of 2600 homebrews and hacks to more replicate the look and feel of the arcade Space Invaders. Now, this is just going off the American list. I'm not touching any Japanese consoles right now or, or sequels, but in the U.S., in the arcade, we have, obviously, Space Invaders, followed by Space Invaders Deluxe in 1979, Space Invaders 2 in 1980, Return of the Invaders in 1985, Super Space Invaders 91 in 1990. These are all arcade. Space Invaders DX in 1994. Space Invaders 95, Attack of the Lunar Loonies in 1995. Space Invaders 25th Silver Anniversary in 2003. Those are all the arcade sequels. Now, home ports. These are all American ones. First of all, the only official ports on the classic consoles were the Atari 2600, the Atari 5200, and the Atari 8-bit computers. And this is one case where... I think we've mentioned on the show before where the Atari 5200 is basically the Atari 8-bit computer without a keyboard, a little less memory, and the the funky joysticks. A lot of times they would do is they would take the Atari 8-bit computer version and just change the control scheme and just release it. The Atari 5200 Space Invaders is actually a different game programmed completely from the ground up. So it's a totally different version of it. Uh, And I remember it being really, really good, uh, actually. Uh, I did have it at one time. I don't remember. Was, did you have it when you gave me your 5200? I
0: th- I want to say I did, but I didn't. if I did, I didn't have it very long. I don't really
1: remember. Hmm. I'll have to look at it, because I remember that one had a few features that I liked. And I've played the Atari 8-bit computer version, and that one doesn't have the three shields at the bottom of the screen for some reason. Which makes me wonder if that was starting out as a generic Space Invaders type game, or maybe they didn't, or whatever. Because that's an integral part of the gameplay. So oh, yeah. And I don't know. By the way, I'm one of the few people who actually
0: likes the shields.
1: I like them, too. I mean, it's, it's part of the gameplay. It's not Space Invaders if you don't have the shields. Yeah, they saved my butt many times. Yeah, no kidding. And the ability to actually shoot up through the bottom of the shields to create a hole, it offers you some protection to do it. Yeah. Oh, and uh, the shields do regenerate after each level.
0: Yep. I forgot to hey, mention let that. Let me ask you this. In the Atari 2600 version, uh-huh. eventually the invaders are so low... How low are they? They start so low to the ground that you eventually no longer have shields at all.
1: Exactly. I have not seen that in the arcade game. No, the way I understand it... Does that actually do that in the arcade game? The way I understand it is that they never start lower than the shields. You always have the shields, if what I've heard is correct. Now, I've never gotten past the second screen in this game, and it's rare for me to get past the first one, so I cannot comment on that with authority. Well, really, I can't comment on any of this with authority. Well, but what still. I can
0: tell is they do get l- pretty low, but they will overlap the shields but not make them disappear, at least at the as far yes, as I've gone.
1: I think that's true. On the 2600, 2600 version, version, if they, they so much as touch them, they're gone. They're gone. They're gone totally. They don't even just go away just a little bit to where you still have some protection off. They're just totally gone. Oh, and by the way, I want th- to think I saw somewhere that after the ninth level in Space Invaders, the Invaders start again, and this is the arcade, the Invaders start up again like they were in the first level. I've not had any confirmation of, on that one way or the other, but I want to think I had heard that somewhere. But uh, I've never made it far enough to be able to say. so. But uh, the interesting thing about Space Invaders is, as I said, when it comes to home ports, there was only those few Atari home ports. And Atari Soft didn't even make it for the other home consoles of the time. However... I don't know why Taito and Bally Midway's lawyers didn't go nuts on this, but every console has a version of the game in some form or another under a different name. television, had Space Armada. Now, ColecoVision had Gorf. And we talked about in Gorf, when we did that episode recently, that the home ports, they had to cut out the Galaxian level because of copyright thing, but they didn't cut out the first level, which was Astro Battles, which was Space Invaders, and the Invaders looked like the Space Invaders from the arcade game. Obviously, had it hadn't been that Taito must not have been going after companies and
0: suing them over this. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. That's why so many other consoles had Space Invaders like games mm-hmm. but not actually Space Invaders. That way they could cheap out on licensing.
1: I, I really don't know exactly how they could get away with that. I mean Yeah, I don't know if it's loopholes or if it was just that Maybe they just didn't think about lawyering up. Or maybe yeah. they didn't trademark the look and feel, or whatever. But there was a computer called the Exity Sorcerer. They, there was a game called Invaders for that. There's one called the Microtan 65 Space Invaders. TI994A had TI Invaders. I remember, I've played that a couple of times, and I remember that being a really good version of it. The Tandy Color Computer had Space Assault, and there was also Color Space Invaders. VIC-20 had Avenger, so did the Commodore 64. There was Super Invaders for the BBC, uh, ZX Spectrum had Spectral Invaders, Space Raiders, and Invaders. Oric had Oric Invaders. The Tandy Coco, Supervaders, 64. Again, had something called Arcade Classics in 87. Now we're getting more into uh, different... Uh, the Amiga had Amoeba Invaders. Yes, and, that's right. Uh, let me see. The Atari ST. It just says Atari ST on this list. Not even a name. Then uh, the ZX Spectrum again. Uh, the Apple II had Apple Invaders. I want to think I may have played that one. And then there was LED and LCD handheld games. Let me see here. Tiger Electronics had a few LCD games. There were LED handheld games in 80 and 81 by Entex. And that's just some of what was ported.
0: Oh, and we also have to mention, we, we should mention, going back
1: to the 2600, yeah. Pepsi Invaders. Oh, yes, yes. What that is, is apparently Coca-Cola was having a convention, and uh, they wanted something a little unusual to give away to the attendees of the convention. And so they talked to Atari like, hey Atari, uh, what could you do for us? And so basically Atari hacked the graphics in Space Invaders to make it look like the word Pepsi, P-E-P-S-I. Now, if I'm not mistaken, there's in the Atari 2600 version of Space Invaders, there's only six invaders across. Instead of like the full whatever in the arcade, Pepsi's only five letters, so one of the whole row of invaders... I don't remember what it was, but it didn't look like a Space Invader, and it wasn't a letter. Other than that, it played exactly the same, and this is a highly sought-after uh, collectible, if you will, because it's Space Invaders with a graphics hack, basically.
0: Oh, you know what? The Sixth Invader is one of the original Space Invaders. Just oh, is it? So okay. And the UFO is the Pepsi logo.
1: Oh, yes, you are right. You are right on that.
0: But, yeah, that that is a really rare game. It is a Rarity 10, which is, which is among the rarest.
1: And you can download the uh, the ROM and play it in an emulator, in case you're curious. Yeah. But it's just Space yeah, I Invaders. I want to say
0: that it also doesn't... Ha- it's not a full-featured Space Invaders. In fact, it's a, it's a timed game. There's a time that, limit.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. notice that. I have to try that again. I've played it a few times. You know what? I've played it a few times, but I played it, and it's Space Invaders. I played it for a few seconds. And I'm like, and the novelty just, like, wore off. It was just... It's just sure. Space Invaders. If I'm going to play Space Invaders, I'm going to play Space Invaders. I'm not playing Pepsi Invaders. Uh, it has another name, actually. Coke Wins. Coke Wins. Fatality. I was talking about with ports and sequels. The, the, I only mentioned the arcade sequels. There are a bunch of them on con- different consoles and computers over time. and that were actually direct sequels to the arcade game. And on top of that, everything I was talking about is only a fraction of what was out there as far as clones and, and ports. And that, on top of that, that was only U.S. and uh, European versions and clones of it. You go into Japanese version of the game, and that's a whole other ball of wax right there. Yeah, and let's not even get into Antarctica. Because it's cold, you need a jacket, otherwise you'll t- catch a death of cold, or whatever. I don't know what the phrase is. <laughs> oh, yahee. Wow, I I don't know. Do I really have more to say about Space Invaders?
0: Tell us about your memories playing Uh,
1: the game. A phrase that I've coined is the laundromat game. I believe I had said that uh, Rail X was one of them, and I can't remember what the... I had mentioned it about another game. Space Invaders, they made tons of cabinets. In fact, Space Invaders is one of the few games that actually made the leap from the arcade to just about everywhere else. Space Invaders, I kind of classify as a, a laundromat-type game. Not now, but back then, it was a ubiquitous game. You did see it everywhere. You saw it... The first time I ever saw it was actually by one of the entrances at the Sears store at the Louis Joliet Mall, and I think I may have played it there. But we would go to the mall, and i keep bugging my mom for a quarter. Can I play? Can I play? it? No, 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 no. And eventually, I had to, went to the mall by myself one time, and I popped a quarter in, and I played it. I'm like, oh, wow, this is kind of neat. And... uh Obviously, you play it a few more times, but uh, after a while, it's it's kind of an old hat. Space Invaders is, uh, uh, you had mentioned uh, Carnival earlier. Carnival's a shooting gallery. This is basically a shooting gallery. That is true. Space Invaders is a shooting gallery game. It, it behaves exactly like one. Maybe not as sophisticated as Carnival, but it is a shooting gallery. If you go to uh, a, any Carnival now, you get the you pick up the rifle, you got all the things, and just keep shooting all of the targets. The only difference is, the targets at Space Invaders shoot back at you. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that's my first memory of it, is, is at the Sears. And then I would see it in laundromats. Thinking of which Frogger is another game that I now that I think about it could be classified as a laundromat game. Because I saw that in quite a few laundromats, too, and, and other places that aren't arcades. And that's kind of my classification do you see, uh, for the phrase laundromat game. Do you see it in places, do you see it in a lot more places that aren't arcades? And I oh, want with like Monte Carlo. And like Monte Carlo, exactly. Which I actually played for the first time at a funeral home. But there you go. I think it's Monte there Carlo. But anyway, any rate.
0: For me, my first time playing Space Invaders, it was at the Holiday Inn in Bradley, Illinois. That Holiday Inn being long ago. Actually, I think it might still be there, but it's not a Holiday Inn anymore. I think
1: if it's the place I'm thinking of, it's on Route 50, it's a ramada. Yeah, that's exactly what At least it, it was is, yeah. when, I, when I lived there about six seven years ago.
0: Yeah, it was a uh, it was a Holiday Inn at the time, and uh, I had mentioned it before how one year, I think it was 1982, could have been, 80. no, it had to have been 81, or maybe it was 82, when my parents decided just for President's Day weekend, we'd just spend time at the Holiday Inn and spend time at the pool, and at nights we hey. were in the game room, and that's where I first played Space Invaders. And I remember the attraction for me was that, oh, it's a big coin-operated version of that game I played on my Uncle Phil's Atari 2600 6-switcher. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I could play that game in a big, huge cabinet like that. And I was having a lot of fun with it. I had to get used to using the buttons instead of a joystick. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But, you know, it was really cool. You and, know,
1: uh- it makes me wonder, why did they change it from a joystick to buttons in the U.S.? Then a a second point, which I hadn't even thought of, how many people played it on the Atari 2600 first and then in the arcade? Or played it on the 2600, never in the arcade at all? These are the things I ponder. Or as George Carlin says, these are the things I think about when I'm home alone and the television's broken.
0: Or these are the things I think about that kept me out of the good schools. There you go. But uh, there's other more recent memory that I have to share. Um, There was one place I went recently where the Space Invaders was fully functional, except I think it had a blown capacitor on the board somewhere, Uh and the screen was all, the colors were all, like, kind of in negative, so it was like a a bright gray screen and, like, black invaders, and I think your ship was, uh, I think your cannon was white or something. Inverse (laughs) invaders. I actually liked that. I was like, this is really cool. And then when I went back there, I found that they had it fixed,
1: and everything Aww.
0: was the way it should, and it looked brand new,
1: practically. And I was like, oh, I like the broken version. I, I can't fault arcade operators these days, because there's so many of them, and the machines are sold. Things are bound to break. Yeah. And they might just have other priorities. you know, We got to prioritize. In fact, I think George Spannels actually had a, a thing on his Facebook page about... No, 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 no. It was the most recent Galloping Ghost Arcade, because they were talking about how they got a Williams... Laserdisc game Star Rider, which is a game I really want to play again, as I remember playing that thing. And they were talking about prioritizing. How do you prioritize what games that you put out on the floor and which gets fixed first? I mean, he was like, I'd like to have people play Star Rider, but Burger Time gets more people playing. And if that goes down, you obviously have to make Burger Time a priority. So listen to that. It was the most recent episode of the Galloping oh, yeah. Ghost podcast. Uh, it was a really fascinating discussion. Seriously, listen to that. They don't record that often uh, anymore. I think they're trying to do it a little more often than they have been over the summer. But yeah,
0: this is it, like their first episode in a couple of months.
1: But if you want to know how uh, arcades operate these days and some of the challenges they have running them, listen to that. There's some really good, dis- oh, yeah, really good and interesting discussions in there. But oh, um, uh, you were talking about your uh, experiences with it, and then I interrupted. Actually, I was pretty much done. That's
0: Ah, what I had to say about it. I do want to add, though, that there is an Atari 7800 version of Space Invaders. Mm -hmm. It is a homebrew, though, programmed by uh, Bob DiCrescenzo, a.k.a. Pac-Man Plus.
1: Gee, there's a shock. (laughs) Yeah, And let me guess, it's really good.
0: Well, it's Bob DiCrescenzo quality. What can I say? So,
1: yeah, that was redundant.
0: It's very faithful to the arcade version. And there's a Easter egg. It's not a very well-hidden Easter egg, but an Easter egg, nonetheless, that'll let you play with the 2600 graphics. Oh, sweet. Actually, the 2600 graphics, because, well, because the 7800 version of the Invaders, they're so like high-res and everything, the 2600 Invaders don't really work very well with that it's kind of hard to tell at first glance uh-huh. but yeah it's good and it has pretty much the same very you can set the same variations you can in the 2600 okay. you could have uh, the moving shields and everything too tangent it's just yeah
1: tangent talking about bob DiCrescenzo. did you see this project he's working on he was just fiddling around with a, a game for the 7800 where you got a guy and he's running around like a, a wider maze it's gonna be a two-player at the same time thing whatever And he's using the graphics from the uh, facsimile of the graphics for the Intellivision uh, AD&D Cloudy Mountain game as placeholders while he develops the game.
0: Oh, right, right, yeah. And
1: I told him, dude, you have to include those graphics at the very least as an Easter egg. That's really awesome, but I do
0: have to be honest here. I wish he would finish Defender.
1: I think he's working on that, too, though. I think this other thing is more of a uh, kind of a proof of concept thing. Oh, and the uh,
0: there's a, an interesting little uh, tidbit about Space Invaders for the seventy eight hundred. Yes, a couple of years ago, there was a thirtieth anniversary cart that was put out that collects several of Bob's home brews. Yes, you were telling me about that. He has been doing it for thirty years. We're just talking about thirtieth anniversary of the seventy eight hundred, right? And you have that, you scum. That's right. I got the multi cart, and then I sold off the individual ones <laughs> for a reduced price. By the way, but. The version of Space Invaders on that has a bug in it. If you play with the moving shields,
1: the game freezes. Really? Yeah. Oh. Which is why I kept the individual cartridge. Oh, I see. And I didn't mention that uh, we're talking homebrews. In 2003, I think it was, that a homebrew of Space Invaders was released for the ColecoVision. Now, I'd mentioned earlier GORF, but Space Invaders are only one screen in GORF. And that was actually released on the ColecoVision back in the Classic Era. But this other one uh, is called Space Invaders Collection. Yeah, it was released uh, August 9th, 2003. I want to think Eduardo did that one. I don't know. I don't have that information. It wouldn't have been OpCode, would it? Oh, maybe it was, was OpCode.
0: Were they around back then? I don't know. It's I don't have a Vision, but OpCode's making me want one.
1: Yeah, he's a lot of the stuff is for the Super Game module that was released that he's doing now. Or if you have a Coleco Adam, uh you can use that instead of purchasing the Super Game module separately, which is one reason why I want to kind of hang on to my Atom and see if I can get it working. They did a version of Gradius yeah, for uh, the ColecoVision with the Super Game module. That thing is pretty slick. I actually uh, played it a little bit in emulation. That is really a good version. It's not as graphically impressive as the NES version, but it's so damn close. It's, it's scary. At any rate, uh, we're sidetracked again. We get sidetracked all the time. That's another game we should talk about, sidetrack. You know what? I think that's really all I gotta say about it it should be worth mentioning the cultural impact that
0: the game has had
1: yeah you know what there's uh, one thing I want to address is there's a rumor that uh, the game space Invaders was so popular in Japan that it actually caused a shortage of uh, quarters or whatever they consider the 100 a hundred yen coin the hundred yen coin in Japan and this is a rumor that had been going on for a long time and I was looking this actually this uh, this up and that's nothing more than an urban legend. Because if you think about it, first of all, unlike paper money, coins are around for a long time. Unless they specifically take them out of circulation and they got to melt them down on that. But coins are durable. So it's, as fast as they would get them in the machine, they would take them to the bank and they would go right back into circulation. So just by that also, alone... also some of these
0: arcades must have been running on tokens, too.
1: Well, there's that, too. Although maybe not in the really early days, tokens well, might yeah, have okay. Because the token, I think, came around as a way to take money. Well, so that you went, so, so that let's you not be so
0: accusatory because tokens' life matters.
1: I see what you did there. Token lives matter. Hmm. Uh, but what happens is with a quarter, you remember you have a quarter. You can spend it anywhere. You go to an arcade. You put a dollar in the coin changer. You get four tokens. And say like you play three of them, and you got a token, and. You can only use it at that arcade or at that chain of arcades. And if you forget about it and you don't ever use it, well, then they just made a quarter and they didn't deliver anything for you. So the token idea was kind of smart for the arcade to do from an owner operator standpoint, not so much from a consumer standpoint. But I digress. I kind of like the model now with the one price all you can play because it's. Oh, yeah. Because it it might not be a value, but it's the perception of being a value. I'll tell you for whom it is a value. For people who love to play games
0: and suck at them. Exactly. Because you know how many games you're going to play. Exactly. Like, for me, if I'm playing nothing but, say, Turbo Junior Pac-Man, Turbo Miz Pac-Man, that's like two games and I'm there for 12 hours.
1: And and let's be honest about it, too. Uh, You probably actually, when you play, do one of the, all you you pay one price and, you know, play all day things, you probably aren't going to play $15 worth of games, but... You're not getting ripped off, though, because the money that the arcade makes over and above, you know, whatever you would play, let's say like it's a quarter a game still, they got to put that money like right back into the machines uh, in a lot of cases. Because as we were saying, I mean, these things we see time and time again. Doc Mac says it. Scott Lambert says it. Uh, Pretty much anybody in the arcade industry says it. Uh, I'm sure Billy Mitchell says it. I'm sure Richie Knuckles says it, that these games were not built to last. And so they need, like, George Spanos says it. They need extra tender, loving care. You know, a lot of that money goes right back into the business and uh, right back into the machines. I mean, it it does more than pay salaries and keep the lights on. It's preservation
0: yeah i think doc said that um what do you say it was like over a year before galloping ghost was profitable
1: doesn't surprise me yeah does not surprise me
0: space invaders though i mean culturally obviously very important and uh in terms of pop culture i mean hey just about any tv show that was made in the last 20 years like the simpsons uh futurama as you said that 70s show not necessarily the news even from the 80s you are going to see references to Space Invaders left and right.
1: Did uh, Buckner and Garcia do a Space Invaders song?
0: No, they didn't. I, they, I do know the pretenders,
1: the pretenders did an instrumental song called Space Invaders, but that might not have been inspired by the game.
0: Oh, and there's a video game documentary called The Space Invaders from a couple of years ago. Oh, really? It's not about Space Invaders, though, but you know what the Space Invaders are in the title? Hmm. Arcade cabinets. It's about people who collect them and have them. Oh, in Oh, really? Homes. Oh, that and sounds it documents interesting. Documents a couple of people like making road trips to pick them up. I actually have a copy. Mm-hmm. It's a really fascinating watch. I have to watch that. I actually won it from uh, No Quarter, so thanks, uh, Carrington and Mike.
1: I was reading the, was still uh, hosting then. <laughs> I was reading the Facebook page for Galloping Ghost today, and you are talking about collectors and that. And uh, uh, Doc Mack, and I can't remember who else got back from a. Uh, arcade game raid, as it were. They find warehouses or barns or whatever full of old machines, and they call it a raid You know, when they go in, uh, and get the stuff out of the barn warehouse, whatever. Uh, what happens today is they actually got a brand new cabinet for uh, their Shinobi machine. Uh, Shinobi, actually, that they had at Galloping Ghost was uh, the same boards and everything, but it was a converted, I think he said, Pac-Man cabinet. Yeah. And uh, so now they've got an actual official Shinobi cabinet. That's a game we got to talk about, too. I love that game. So, yeah, they got an official, you know, because of because of a raid, you know, because, because of collectors. You know,
0: I'm pretty sure that either my mother or my wife has told me that I don't know something from Shinobi, but I don't remember what. Hmm.
1: Uh, shoot. That must be what they're talking
0: about. Hmm. I don't know. Do you Do you know, have you heard that expression? I don't know. Whatever it was, I didn't know it from something, and I thought it was Shinobi. But.
1: Going on about Space Invaders, it really was a phenomenon. And it, it might not have seemed like it because, as I said, the first time I placed I ever saw it was at a Sears store. I saw hardly ever anyone ever playing it. And I I would imagine maybe a lot of people were like that. They saw places and not a lot of people were playing it because maybe it was like in a retail location or a gas station or something like that. Well, yeah.
0: And I mean, it seems like small potatoes to a lot of people, but including me sometimes, you know, it's like, well, it's Space Invaders, you know. But then what do I remember? I mentioned before... When I first played it on my uncle's 2600, and I remember one day when we were at his house, I said, hey, um, can we play Space Invaders? And I didn't even say Atari. I
1: said Space Invaders. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So that's the first thing that came to my mind was Space Invaders.
1: Yeah. It's just amazing the impact this game had. Probably more so than any other video game in history, this game inspired people to learn programming, learn how to create games. Dude. A couple of
0: years ago when I was home from work, I think I was, I don't remember if I took the day off or if I was just plain sick. I actually tried to make Space Invaders out of jQuery. Really? Yeah. How did it go? I got the graphics down, but the thing is, I didn't realize how slow
1: jQuery is for this kind (laughs) of thing. So I was like, yeah, screw it. Oh, one other thing about the Atari 2600 version uh, that's notable is with the Atari 2600 version, you can only have like a few different characters on screen at one time before they start flickering. They had, like, I don't know, 40-some... I, I don't remember the exact number of invaders uh, that are in Space Invaders on the 2600. They did that game with no flicker at all.
0: That is so true. There's no flicker. I never thought of that.
1: And I was reading somewhere there is a trick how they were able to do that, because the, the invaders really aren't sprites, but I want to think they said they were, like, stamped graphics that they update. I, I, I don't remember the exact... Uh, the exact reason how they did that, but uh, that was something uh, very amazing because, really, Flicker on the 2600 really wasn't a thing that was at least notable on the 2600 yet. Not until Pac-Man came along for it. But, uh, well, actually, I noticed it in Night Driver now that I think about it, but uh, Oh, yeah. That's another game we should talk about. God, I, I keep saying all this, and I never put anything in my little spreadsheet. But uh, Even though this isn't the first video game, there were a lot of video games before it, a lot of video games after it. There were a lot more that were more sophisticated. There were a lot more that were a lot simpler. Space Invaders has been called the grandfather of the video game industry. And I think from a cultural and importance aspect of the game, this is indeed the grandfather of video games.
0: Well, it is in the way that apparently there was actually a video game crash in 1977.
1: Which I had not heard about. I did not know I had know not heard this. about either but then until again, I was researching. 1977, I would have been nine. We had uh, the first mall in the Joliet area open in 1975. That was the late, great Jefferson Square Mall. And they had an arcade in there, that game place, which I kind of liked. And it opened in there. And... Um, never got in there first of all i was a, just a kid when it was, i was seven years old when that place opened and we would go there once once in a while go to weebolts or wards or maybe once in a while to the movie theater but we never stopped at the uh, at that game place they didn't even have a food court in there that was how primitive and small that mall was yeah uh, they had a walgreens in there that had an entrance on the outside too that was something unheard of oh yeah and um I didn't know there was any sort of thing going on with video games. I didn't know there was a crash. You no, know, I didn't know any of this. And uh,
0: basically, Space Invaders is credited for saving, like basically, from stopping that crash from really happening.
1: I wondered if the crash was like just because of maybe there were so many shoot 'em up clones or so many uh, that's uh, a Pong clones or something yeah. like that, because uh, Pong was another thing that was copied and
0: yeah pong in the arcades and then there are dozens of pong consoles you can get for home
1: and not all of them were official in fact i would not say i would say very few of them were and that's just the thing honestly you know what we really should even though pong is simple we really should talk about pong at some point we should uh, even if it's just like a little short episode to like put in between if we are like want to take a break or something we should really talk about pong it's the simplest game that was ever created well, no, not really, but the simplest of the coin-op era, I'll say at the very least, <laughs> the game that came before go. it in the arcade was actually a hell of a lot more complex, which is weird. So, but anyway, but um, oh, I did tell you. Uh, speaking of that game, that I, we visited uh, when we went to uh, Springfield, Illinois, a couple of well, about a month and a half ago now, to go to the state fair, we stopped in Atlanta, Illinois, and we went to the Route 66 Arcade Museum. Yeah, and tell me about that. There was nobody really attending it, but it was open. It was kind of like in the in the uh, uh, the city's uh, chamber of commerce uh, offices, and um, they had the machines on, and they had a couple of change machines. They had games from every, you know different eras, from more recent to older ones. They actually had an Atari video pinball cabinet there. Oh, really? Yes, and that was very fascinating. Oh. My daughter Gretchen loved that. And uh, they had a computer space in there. You're kidding. No, it wasn't working. Was it official? It was an official computer space. It was the fiberglass cabinet and everything. It had like, it was like, what is it? It's like five, six buttons on it. Uh, I really wish it was working because I wanted to play it so badly. But uh, And I probably would have played it badly. Oh, yeah, the, the reason
0: I had to ask if it's official, because when I went to Silverball in Asbury Park last year, there was a Pong cabinet there. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, wow, Pong. I took a picture of it, and I posted it on Facebook. And uh, Jeff Prescott from No Quarter said, oh, you know what? That's a fake Pong cabinet. It's a Pong cabinet, but with a home Pong console. In fact, it's the Mm. Atari home Pong console inside it. He could tell from the uh, screensaver. (laughs) And I saw the Atari Pong console at Midwest Gaming Classic, and he is absolutely right.
1: Seriously, if you're ever driving Interstate 55 between Bloomington, Illinois, and Springfield, Illinois... First of all, our prayers are with you. Well, but uh, get off on Route 66 south of Bloomington. First of all, Route 66 is so much more beautiful than 55 through there, especially if you're going through the town of Funks Grove, which if you go through Funks Grove, pick up some of the uh, fresh maple syrup that they make there. Oh, gosh, that stuff is so good. But the town of Atlanta, Illinois, and the town just north of that with the name escaping me for the moment, there are two classic arcades in both towns. They're both run by the same guy, and uh, the one in Atlanta is the one we hit, uh, which is actually the sister arcade to the other one. McLean, McLean, Illinois. That's the town. It's in town. Uh, There's a big truck stop there on 55 called the Dixie Trucker's Home, but that one's in downtown McLean. But, uh, stop in one of those arcades. It's a nice way to break up a trip from Chicago to St. Louis. And uh, they're not huge. There's only a handful of games. Some of them work, some of them don't. But it's definitely worth stopping in because it's just a good way to stretch, relax, and then they just, just... You're in small town Illinois, and it's really a nice experience. It's nice to go into those places, and like I said, they had a computer space, and it was in a real, it was a real one, the real fiberglass cabinet and everything. I just wish it was working as I wanted to play it. Link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. And oh, and, and uh, the guy also refurbishes and sells machines too. By the way, it's not just the arcades. Oh, awesome. So he's uh, he's into it more than just for the arcades. And uh, I think Doc Max talked about it, the arcade there a few times. I think he has. Yeah. yeah so uh there you go that's a side note they didn't have a pong which kind of disappointed me but it was worth to see the computer space and a working atari video pinball arcade machine that's a really neat looking machine but we're, we're talking about space Invaders, and we're getting sidetracked because a lot of this i mean cultural importance and, and links and rambling and rabbit trails but um <laughs> but honestly i don't know if i really have more to say about space Invaders. I
0: have nothing more, I, th- I I don't think, other than some scores. Yes, yeah. let's do some scores. Okay. I Just just for semantics, I also want to include uh, Deluxe Space Invaders scores here. Okay. But uh, first, Standard Space Invaders here, which was released in June 1978 in Japan and then July 1978 in North America, by the way. Richie Knuckles has the Twin Galaxies world record, uh, verified November 8, 2011 with 184,870. Wow. This is also a low score. game. game. Yeah, so that's pretty freaking good, by oh, the way. Oh, and by the
1: way, I'd mentioned about the trick about getting a 300-point score on the mystery ship every time. The guy who did that, named Escaping Me for the moment, uh fur fur furr fur referrer when he was talking about this trick, he was saying that this trick helped him get through uh, playing the game for 36 hours, so... Yikes! Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would think I would get boring after
0: a while, but anyway. Yeah. But, uh... The deluxe variation, Matt Brass has the world record verified September 16, 1982, 425,230. That's for Twin Galaxies. For Orcade.com, Donald Hayes, who has a lot of records, has the Orcade.com record for the Standard Space Invaders, performed August 8, 2009 during the first annual Richie Knuckles Invitational. He scored 62,200. And the deluxe variation, Michael Stevens, June 2nd, 2013, he performed it and at, at, uh, scored 34,720. My high score, which I just achieved a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. was at Underground Retrocade. I scored, are you ready? Mm-hmm. 3,070. Oh, wow. A lot better than I did. I can actually get to the third screen.
1: Really? Yeah. Wow. I barely. I I can never do. Barely. I I didn't record my score. I played it just the other day, and it was like one thousand something. It's again not a very high scoring game. It is what it is. So, and with that, shall we rate the game? Oh, shall we indeed? Please do. I'm going to go first this time because a game like Space Invaders. You're the moderator. uh, Well, that's so. I'm going to take my moderator's privilege. (laughs) I'm not going to check my privilege. Space Invaders. I'm going to review this a little bit differently. Than I do normally because normally when I'm rating games on the show, I, I think of it in the context of what I like. If it's, it's a game I'm still playing, or I'm thinking about it in context of what how it affects me today. You know, I'm gonna rate Space Invaders in the context of what it meant to me then, because let's face it, in this day and age, Space Invaders is not a really exciting game if you judge it with today's eyes and the things that you've played. Pac-Man is another one of the games that defined the industry, but it's a heck of a lot different than Space Invaders. It's a heck of a lot more technologically advanced. And even in just those couple of years, there was so much advancing that Space Invaders, by the time Pac-Man came out, was even becoming old hat. And that was not even a span of two years or so. So I'm going to review it from the time it was released and my opinions of it then, because when it came out and the first time I played it, the game gave me joy, a sense of joy, a sense of fun, you know, a sense of wonder. And so I'm going to review it with the rose-colored glasses, which I don't review other games. And because so of that, because of what it meant to me then, because of how fun it was, and because of the memories of the Atari 2600 version, I, I'm not going to review it without that, because kind of inseparable. I mean, the only difference, as I said, were the graphics, I have to rate it a 4. I don't play it all the time now. In fact, it's rare that I play it now. But it was an influential game to me. It was an influential game to millions of people worldwide. And because of that, I don't know if... I probably would have still gotten into the arcade scene and the love of video games if it wasn't for... Well, I can't say that, though. Because the 2600 version of Space Invaders kind of helped along with that. So I have to rate it a 4, given the way that I'm reviewing it. Now, if I wasn't reviewing it, if I was reviewing it in the context of what I think the game is now, I couldn't rate it more than a two. Really? Because it's, again, it's old hat. Pac-Man is a much different game. It's much more complex. And every time you go on, it gets more and more. And the, the further away you get from Space Invaders, the less fun of a game it becomes, the less you go back to it. But I'm rating it a four because of, as I said, my roast colored glasses. Different way than I normally review stuff. Well, now, How about you?
0: I'm going to rate Space Invaders the same way I rate any other game. Not just me, but I also have to consider, is this something that I would recommend to someone? Is this overall an important game? Is it a fun game? And if I take everything into consideration, I can't not give it a five. I really can't. Because of its cultural importance and also part of that is my own personal feelings about it as well. The way I see it, I've mentioned both in this episode Hmm. and in a previous episode that I really don't like, say, Galaga. I don't like Galaxian because it's just mindless shooting. That's all there is to it. With Space Invaders, and just like with Stratovox, there is strategy. There is a specific goal that you have, and that is to make sure that those freaking invaders do not land on the Earth.
1: Okay, I have to say, I think you've convinced me to give it a five. And not just in the context of back then, but in the context of what it is now. Because you mentioned something I wasn't even thinking about. Is it a game that you would tell people to go back and play? People today, and I'm like, you know what? I would tell them that. If for the very least to see what things were, how they were, and how things evolved. And I would say that i probably have more fun with the Atari 2600 version. Oh, me too. But it's still worth playing the arcade game. In fact, I think next time I see one of these arcade games, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it. I don't play it in the arcades these days, but you know what? I think I'm going to give it a shot next time. I see they have it at Retrocade. Oh, yeah. Well, I would say that's a stupid question, but you don't even know. <laughs> you, you don't know what the condition. Just because they made however many hundreds of thousands of machines doesn't mean that a vast majority of them survived all these years either.
0: Yeah, I played theirs the last time I was there, and it was in amazingly good shape.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm re-rating mine. A f- I'm re-rating it a
0: five. One of the reasons that, I'm, that I want to rate it a five is that it is a game that is worth repeating, at least for me personally. Like, I can finish up a game and say, you know what? I can do better. Let me try again. Another go. I can do better. Let me try again. I can do better. Let me try again. Stratofox, like maybe two or three games, it's like, yeah, I'm done. It's interesting, then interesting, and then suddenly I lose interest. But Space Invaders, it's more like, you know what, this thing keeps challenging. One me. more go, I game. I think you used that word challenging before, and that's exactly what Space Invaders does. It challenges you to try again.
1: Kind of like Sinistar. I believe we talked about that with Sinistar, didn't we? Sinistar, I found myself
0: doing the same thing with yeah. that.
1: Yeah, Sinistar and Space Invaders have that same feel, just for, I would say, different, well, no, really not different reasons, they're just different difficulty games. I think it was just does the difficulty in Space Invaders ramp up other than the uh, invaders going lower? I think that's it. It just goes lower, which really
0: is a pain because that's less breathing room. Right. You have to dodge those You literally had to dodge bullets closer than you had to <laughs> before.
1: And I think with that, uh okay, this has been bugging the heck out of me, although I think I may have figured it out. Uh, you kept the theme from this of this game a mystery. You kept it a mystery ship. That's right. That's
0: because there's a mystery ship in Space Invaders, so I figured, yeah, let's keep it a mystery.
1: Okay, uh, games in which the fewer enemies that are on the screen, the faster they go, and it's not because the game was programmed that way, it's because of the hardware.
0: Well, the thing is, I don't know if that's why Stratovox does Mm, it, though. Okay, So, so what is it? The real theme is games in which you are shooting at spaceships and that you can lose the game without losing all your lives both Stratovox and Space Invaders. You can have all your lives intact, but the game can suddenly come to an end if you're not careful.
1: Ah, ooh, I didn't even think about that. That makes more sense. So, wow, there we go. And with that, I think we should talk about the next couple of episodes. Oh, first of all, next episode is going to be another one of our special, a very special pie factory. We are going to be talking about the Sega Genesis Home Console. And we're gonna have special guest with us, and uh, uh, we haven't. We know the guy's gonna do it, but we haven't really made any sort of arrangements yet, uh, a time and stuff. So, uh, uh, it's gonna be Phil, no swear gamer. So he's going to join us. Uh, we still got to talk to him about when to do it. And uh, John, yeah, it's almost s-
0: like we were just on his show or something. It seems like it, doesn't it? And um Oh yeah, that's right. We were on his show recently, the most recent seventy eight hundred game by yes. Game Podcast. They only
1: got two more episodes coming uh, of that, I think. Oh, yeah. And then that that's yeah. it. That show's wrapping up. And then I hear there's gonna be something else in the works with someone to continue the seventy eight hundred legacy, but I, I have no idea what's going on with that. So I just yeah, you know, just rumors. Yeah, ho- hopefully, rumors.
0: they'll keep us uh, informed. But um, and, uh, we were, and also, who was on with us was one of our Patreon sponsors, Greg Polender, so, um, Soulblazer. So, thank you, Soulblazer.
1: Uh, one more thing about the uh, uh, before we continue with that. Uh, one more thing about the Genesis uh, episode. You said something about a contest. Oh, did I? Yeah, uh, yeah, you so, did. Uh,
0: make sure you listen to uh, episode forty-one. Hee <laughs> hee,
1: and. Uh, should something happen with scheduling, we do have another episode lined up and that will be Nibbler and Rescue.
0: So Nibbler and Rescue, yeah. But uh, as I was saying, thank you to Soul Blazer and also thank you to Kyle Edder, Michael D'Angelo, Scott Lambert, Nate that Nate, no, Nate Lockhart, Richard Valdez, Keith Sheehan, Jonas Rulo, and Rory Coleman. Thank you for your Patreon Edge. I guess.
1: If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be half the people we are today. That's right. Or something like that. So I think with that, we will put another Pie Factory in the blender and hit liquefy. And we will see you all again in a few weeks. And remember... Dang, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. you'll think about it. Oh, Goodbye. Bye. A one and a two
0: and a... This episode of the Pie Factory Podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble.
1: Follow the Pie Factory Podcast via Facebook, Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Podcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash
0: pie factory podcast. No,
1: we should put that to the test. See who's better at what type of game. Or are you going to just wipe the floor with me? Maybe we should do that at know. Underground Retrocade this coming weekend. What, wipe
0: the floor with you? Yes. Like if somebody spills a drink in the little uh, lounge area? Like... Uh, Jimmy G, come here. Come on. Got to wipe the floor.
1: Yeah, pretty much. That's how I get my sustenance. to. Okay.
0: I tr- I couldn't get into it. I tried watching it. There was one
1: episode. It. It. it was so heartrending. They found uh, the fossilized remains of Fry's dog. Oh, because... I
0: heard about that.
1: Yeah, and the thing with the, the show is Fry was a pleats and delivery boy in current times, and he accidentally stumbled upon a cryogenic thing, and he got frozen and, and into the future. But his favorite his his dog would follow him everywhere when he was delivering pizza. Would wait for him at every stop, and oh god, it was so heartrending, because he the dog, when he went into the place and he got cryogenically frozen and never came back, the dog just stayed there. He he passed away like right there, because uh, he was just waiting for his his master and friend to come back. It was that I actually cried during that episode. Uh, it was that was really. It it was a funny episode. It was heartrending at the same time, but that's probably going to go in the outtake section, but that's a good episode. Oh, oh,
0: Bill Pepper, this is for you, my friend. Instruction number seven in the Spider Fighter manual, use of joystick controller. Hold joystick controller with the red button in the upper left position. It goes on to say, fire poison pellet volleys by repeatedly depressing red button. So what do you do? You say, a button. You know what? You're going to die. You're going to die someday. There are puppies in trouble. You have to depress that thing.
1: Basically, the game is about destroying the delicate balance of nature.
0: Exactly.
1: I would rather have spiders around my house than ants, but that's just me. Well, spiders ants don't spiders don't are not bite. Spiders do. Yeah, but spiders eat ants. That's why I like to have bats around the area, too, because those eat mosquitoes. I hate mosquitoes. And spiders trap mosquitoes, too, so hey. But
0: well, they're doing a crappy job of it up by where I live.
1: Yeah, but those are city spiders.
0: Oh, that's true. That's They'll
1: true. cut you. <laughs> the little corner here in the back alley. Come on, man. I'm going to cut you, man. That's what they do in the city. That's what they say in the city, right? The the thugs? Something oh, of course. Like that. Of oh, course. Okay. Yes. Yeah, there was a study done on that. Fatality. But I would say fartality, but then that would be Taco John's again. So, hmm. Uncle Pooh. Hmm. Pence did an episode about Uncle Pooh. I've never yes, seen the game. I, I don't know if we should do it. But anyway, they've done it, and they've done a much better job about Uncle Pooh. Thank you very much, Taco Johns. They're suing people for using the phrase Taco Tuesday, by the way. That's why I said that. What should my
0: friend do? Pretend that he were you. Here's some good advice for guys who act like lice.